nearly 18 minutes past eight after murder suspect Ko Yu Jong refused to comply with the police decision to unveil her face to the public. Uh, you may not remember the name, but you probably recall seeing her face at the very least uh, in some of the local news coverage. You may remember a woman being seen trying to cover her face with her hair. Um, and as a result of that, the National Police Agency chief has vowed to improve the system for disclosing personal information for criminal suspects. Maybe even mugshots. And that would be a huge change from the general Korean privacy, where for years we'd only get the surname, and with so many people having the same surname, that tells you very, very little. Uh, well, part of the process is reviewing how things are done elsewhere, and today we look at a case in the US. Of course, mugshots are commonly used there. Professor Sarah Lagerson specialises in criminal justice at Rutgers University and joins us on the line. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much. So, the background. Um, why did the US actually introduce mugshots in the first place? We've probably become so familiar with them, we, we presume they've always been there, but we mostly see them when celebrities get arrested. That's right. In most states in the US, mugshots are part of the public record um, as part of police arrest data. So, in most states, there is not a privacy interest in a mugshot, um, even for people who are arrested and whose charges are dismissed, or for people that are found not guilty. But how um, and why do we see cases when these photographs get unveiled to the, the public? What are the standards that are applied? It's interesting because there actually isn't a federal standard in the U.S. when it comes to the disclosure of mugshots. It's a very discretionary decision, um, either made by the local police or actually more commonly made by the local jail, where a person who has been arrested, um, where the mugshot is actually taken when they're booked through the, the jail process. Um, and then it also depends on the type of technology that's available to that particular jurisdiction. So if they have a, a website or an online repository, you're much more likely to see a police department decide to post the, the photo online. And then, of course, each county has to comply with state uh, restrictions or allowances when it comes to mugshot disclosures. So it's really a big sort of checkerboard of different practices across the U.S., but most places uh, tend to disclose the photos. What possible benefits are there for the public in guaranteeing their right to potentially see the image of a suspect, someone who's not yet been convicted of anything? That's right. So, I mean, there's definitely um, a benefit to having more access to government operations. So the spirit of the Transparency Laws and the Freedom of Information Act um, is designed so that people can see who the police are arresting. It's a constitutional violation to have secret arrests or secret courts in the United States. Unfortunately, though, the unfettered release of those photos online has created an extortion industry where private websites repost the photos and they charge fees for the removal. Uh, so for someone that was arrested, their Google search results are now dominated by this mugshot. In the case of celebrities, like I mentioned before, I mean, there's some cases you might have a celebrity who's been arrested on a, on a relatively minor potential charge and there doesn't seem to be much public interest in in, the, in anyone knowing about what's gone on, but it's obviously uh, something that causes a bit of scandal. And so that's where the word public interest maybe gets distorted. Uh, interest from a curiosity point of view rather than a need-to-know perspective. Uh, why and how do those kind of mugshots get in the public domain? 
Yeah, there's definitely a different standard in general when it comes to a person who's famous because they, they have a diminished expectation of privacy. So the normal things that a celebrity might do might be elevated into a news story, whereas if an everyday person is doing them, it's not all that interesting. The core issue, though, is whether or not the police or the state government makes the mugshot accessible. The First Amendment in the United States says that as soon as the record is classified as a public record, like a mugshot, it is completely legal for another person to republish it, for journalists to write about it, or for a website to post it. Bizarrely, there are cases, because of the mugshot culture being what it is, where a celebrity career can actually be launched on the back of a mugshot. Uh, a, a very notable example was Jeremy Meeks, uh, the, the the blue eye, the piercing blue eyes of his mugshot, uh, the tattooed neck, the very striking looks. He was arrested in 2014 during a gang sweep in California, and he became a model, a fashion model. I mean, is what do we make of that case? I think that that's not an anomaly. That um, while interesting and amusing, actually just obscures the harm that millions of people have experienced by the fact that their photo is disclosed online. Often, the photo is taken in one of the very worst moments of their life. Uh, people are upset. They uh, are having mental illness or addiction problems, and it's a really devastating photo. And then for a regular person who doesn't have a lot of search results, I mean, this is the thing that comes up the most. So while there might be this one case of somebody seeing a positive benefit in some ways, the vast, vast majority of them, tens of millions of people arrested per year, have a very different experience. I know that you're not based in Korea, but from what you've seen, including the the case around the Jeju murder suspect, Ko Yu Jung, do, do you have any view on whether mugshots would be helpful? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question, and the underlying question is, is for what? I mean, what is the function of revealing a person's face, um, especially before a conviction? So I think that um, countries need to think about how long criminal punishment should last. And are people ever redeemable? And so a mugshot and a lot of media coverage and, and your photograph and name being attached to this very stigmatizing label um, means in, in a practical sense that you will be punished for a crime forever. And so for very egregious crimes, Korea might think that this is the right sort of public shaming or public punishment. But for more minor crimes, um, you might feel differently about enduring punishment for, for somebody's entire life. Right. So, again, I come back in my mind to this idea of presumption of innocence. The very concept mm-hmm. of a mugshot seems to completely fly in the face, doesn't it, of presumption of innocence? I think so, especially because these, in the U.S., the, the photos are being released by all these different counties and all these different states, and often the information that accompanies it is never updated or sometimes it's totally incorrect. So when they're reposted to private websites, People don't have any control over fixing the information, asking for it to be removed. Sometimes they can't figure out who owns the website. And so not only is it highly public, sometimes it's very misleading. And I think you're absolutely correct that the number one misleading thing is that everyone who has a mugshot is automatically guilty when that's just not the case. They've only been arrested. Does it act as a deterrent, though, an extra deterrent that, that you would know if you were going to do something wrong, let's say, that there's a potential for your mugshot to be shared around whether you get a good lawyer to help you out or not? 
Yeah, there's definitely that argument out there that these operate as a deterrent. Some police departments post galleries and mugshots for specific crimes, and they justify that practice with, with the same rhetoric. But there's been decades of criminological research, empirical studies, big data sets that show that being labeled as a criminal can actually cause a person to commit more crimes. So it's sort of the self-fulfilling prophecy phenomenon. And right. so in general, labeling theory suggests that it actually can be more harmful to public safety. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm leaning in your direction. I, I, I can only think of public curiosity rather than public interest in the strict sense of the word as, as driving this this, this, right. this phenomenon. But, but I mean, tr- trying to play devil's advocate here, I mean, c- could we say that if we were to set up a, a strict standard, it might be in the case of either repeat offenders or where somebody uh, has been able to acquire bail or, or some other conditions where they are suspected of being very dangerous, uh, potentially harmful to the public, and where people would need to know. Is there any kind of circumstance yeah. where we could set the bar? I think so. I think the first question is, if a person's been arrested and then they've been released pending trial, that means the judge has decided that they're not an acute public safety threat. So I think we should let the judicial system decide who is actually a public safety threat because that person will remain under supervision. So that's one step. And I think another natural step towards making this a bit more fair would just be to reserve people's privacy rights um, until they've been convicted. And then at that point, a judge or jury has made their, their determination. We've respected the due process of the accused, and then it becomes part of the criminal punishment. Yeah. So, well, it's, it's difficult to put up an argument against that, Professor Sarah Lagerson uh, from <laughs> Rutgers University. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much.